uh, remembered back having the Landrum tent set up years ago, and there was a fellow showed up. He had on shorts and a big long nose camera, and he came up to me and he said, uh, "You mind if I take a few pictures of your tent?" I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "Well, I'm with Spartanburg Regional uh, Hospital," and said, "We're doing a." Uh, a uh, paper on people of faith versus those with no faith and the rate of be- people being healed. And he said, we found that it's about 80% more people with faith get out of the hospital and go on than those that have no faith. I said, well, help yourself. And so he took all kind of pictures of the tent. And if you haven't seen it, down at the Spartanburg Regional Hospital in the Women's Cancer Center, They've got all kind of pictures of that gospel tent up, different scenes and different things, and this fella put different captions under each one of them, and y'all just take a trip down there and see those sometimes, and it reminds you that the world's looking on. They may not understand it, but thank God they're looking on, and we need to be that testimony to a lost and dying world. Amen. All right, let's stand tonight. We'll reverence God's Word together. Psalms 143, look down in verse number 10. The psalmist says, Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good, lead me into the land of uprightness. Quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake, for thy righteousness' sake. Bring my soul out of trouble. And of thy mercies cut off mine enemies, and destroy all them that afflict my soul. For I am thy servant. Let's go to God in a word of prayer. Appreciate Brother James Esser coming down with me uh, tonight. He's a missionary and appreciate him and his ministry and his love for the Lord. Brother James, you lead us in prayer. Yes, O oh Lord. Yes, our Father. Lord, I plead the blood. Amen. You may be seated. Many of the Psalms are interlaced and saturated with prayer. And this is another one of those prayers of the Psalmist David. And I imagine he prayed this very often as we ought to pray it. And he says in verse number 10, Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Now, if God is our God, then the natural prayer ought to be, Teach me to do thy will. When Saul of Tarsus got saved on the road to Damascus, immediately he said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Says Jesus, you're now my God. I want you to direct me. I want you to show me what I need to do. That ought to be a longing, a desire, and a prayer 
for every person that claims the name of the Lord to want to know what his will is and what his direction is. Now, he knows in order to know that will, that uh, the Spirit of God would have to lead him into the land of uprightness. Natural flesh does not tend to go to the land of uprightness. The flesh pulls us down and pulls us in the opposite direction. But when the Spirit of God quickens us, when He draws us, when He leads us, then we go into the land of uprightness. And in that land of uprightness, we find the good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Now tonight I want to preach on this subject, the will of God. The will of God. The will of God is the desire of God. The will of God is the direction of God. The will of God is what He wants you to do and what He wants me to do. And uh, this ought to be, for every child of God, a continual object of prayer. In the book of Colossians, chapter number 1 and verse 9, Paul said, For this cause, since we also, uh, since the day we heard, I do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of the will of God in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul saying, Since the very first time I heard that you Colossians had come to the Lord, my prayer for you has been that you might understand and know and do the will of God. And you know, many times people say, well, I'm praying for you. Well, what are you praying for? Uh, Or please pray for me. Well, what do you want me to pray for you in regard to? Well, the scripture teaches us that we ought to be praying for each other to have the knowledge of the will of God. Otherwise, we're just floundering around. We're like a cat chasing our tail. Uh, We're just bouncing around. We have no aim, no purpose, no goal. But when we know the will of God and we pursue that will of God, then there is a divine purpose manifest in our life. Every child of God ought to have the ambition that I want to know the will of God. I want to know why God created me. I want to know why God gave me breath. I want to know why God let me take up space on His planet, see His sunshine, breathe His air, eat His food, have a life and live and move and have my being. Lord, I want to know what my purpose is, why I'm here. In 1 Peter 4 and 2, it said that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. There was a time when we lived according to the flesh, the lust of the flesh, and the will of ourselves. But now that we're saved, it ought to be our aspiration and our desire to know exactly why God put us here. There's not a person here that is on the earth by accident or by happenstance or by chance or by luck. You're not an accident that popped in your mom and daddy's life to mess their life up. God ordained that you have life. Whatever the history is, you go back through all of that. God ordained that you walk and live and move and have your being on His planet. Now, the same God that let you live is that God's got a purpose and a reason for your life. A lot of folk today running around with no purpose, no reason, no real goals in mind. But, boy, when you find out the will of God, then you've got a reason to get up in the morning 
You got a reason to rest your head on your pillow. You got a fullness of life that the world could never, ever give. Now, there are two main aspects to the will of God. First of all, there is the spelled out will of God. God wrote in His Bible what His will is for your life. And we'll go through tonight some of these areas where it says, this is the will of God. You don't have to call a deacon's meeting. You don't have to get together with the preachers. You don't have to read a dozen books on it. You can just absolutely know that this is God's will, plain as the nose on your face. It's written right there, the written, spelled out will of God. And then there is, secondly, the special will of God. And by the special will of God, I mean that particular elements in your life that may not be written in the Scriptures, but you still need God's direction. I mean, it's not written in the Scripture, all right? You quit this job. And you start that job. Not written in the scripture. Maybe two equal jobs, equal pay. Might be same distance from your house. Both of them might be a good and hearty work or whatever. But how do you know which direction to go? Well, the Lord gives us guidance in what His special will is for our life. Number one, He tells us that uh, it'll line up with the scripture. Uh, there are general principles in the Bible, you know. If you're working and doing a carpenter's job over here and then somebody offers you a job selling booze and hauling uh, moonshine liquor, you know that you're not supposed to be doing that. I mean, from the Bible, you absolutely can cut that off. And so uh, you got the Scripture. Secondly, you have the Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost is alive. He just is real as Jesus who walked the seashores of Galilee and left footprints everywhere he went. And he said, when I go to heaven, I'll pray you another comforter, and that other comforter is the Spirit of God, and he will live in your heart, and the Bible says he will guide you into all truth. And if you don't walk in the Spirit, you will fulfill the lust of the flesh. There is the living Holy Spirit that will guide you. And then there is the peace of God. The Bible said, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Now that word rule is the word referee. They're bouncing a basketball down the court. Everything stops. They look at the ref. The ref says, foul. And so the foul's called on him. Here's a guy that got fouled. Come to the line. He shoots his free throws. The whistle takes off again. Then they begin to play until... The peace is interrupted. The game is interrupted. The referee is started up. Well, God said, let the peace of God be that referee in your heart. Have you got peace about it? Is there an agitation? Is there a churning? Is there a hesitancy? Is there a warning? Is there a waves rolling in? You better look out and make sure that you're in the will of God or that is the will of God because that peace will disappear and you better pray about it and seek God's face. And then the way to know the will of God is the providence of God. Providence means God's hand in the affairs of men. There's some things you don't have to pray about. The old boy takes his church. He goes and he preaches and he prays and he loves God. And then, uh, boy, he thinks, man, I'll be here from now till Jesus comes. And then they vote him out. Well, he don't have to pray about whether to stay or not. Amen. I mean, something bigger than him got a hold of that thing, so he moves on down the road. 
the providence of God. Oh, you just think that gal, that's the one I'm going to love for all eternity and all time. And you look at her and say, well, you go out with me. I wouldn't go out with you if you was the last man on the face of the earth. I wouldn't give you the time. You don't have to pray much about that. Amen. Sometimes providence just shuts things in your in your face, and you don't have you just quit go on. Praise God! All right, Lord, I committed unto you. And so there is the special will of God. You're going to have to iron that out with the Lord. And uh, I was going through some things a long time ago, and I talked to an evangelist friend of mine. He said, "Oh yes," and that's what I do. I talked to another good evangelist friend of mine of equal caliber, loved God. No, I never would do. I wouldn't go that direction. I went to an old man of God's house, and I followed him around all day long. He'd say, tell it to me again. I'd tell him. And then he'd say, tell it to me again. I'd tell him. He'd say, tell it to me again. I'd tell him. Finally, I said, brother, I've got to go to Bible college. I need a word. What should I do? He said, well, just pray about it and do whatever God tells you to do. I said, all right. Thank you, brother. And you know, that was the best advice that I got. And I did that. I prayed and God directed me. And it's him that you have to iron many things out with. The preacher can't tell you. The deacon can't tell you. You're going to have to iron that out between you and God. And you have to be willing to do whatever his will is, regardless of it's yea or nay or just wait a while. Amen. All right, I want you to look in the Bible and use your Bible tonight with me, will you? Turn over to John chapter number 6, the gospel of John chapter number 6, and in verse number 40, the Lord's going to spell out His will for us. Number 1, it is the will of God to save sinners, and this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Now, aren't you glad that it's God's will to save sinners? What if God said, you sorry lot, you've transgressed, you've crossed the line, you've done wrong, don't come begging me for no salvation. I'm not going to say, what if that was God's will? Be tough, wouldn't it? But the Lord said, I have a will and I have a way to save sinners. Wouldn't this life be miserable? Boy, if you never had a hope that you could get forgiveness of your sins and you couldn't be right with God, wouldn't that be a miserable thing? Well, how is it God's will to save sinners? Well, number one, he said you have to behold the Son. Notice what he says. This is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life. It's not God's will to give anybody everlasting life unless, number one, they behold the Son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. God will not save you by your good works. God will not save you because you're a pretty good fella. God won't save you because you're Uncle Ned's boy. God won't save you because you got religious. He said, I will save you on one term. You have to behold the Son. You say, preacher, I've never seen Jesus. Well, I never have either, but I have beheld Him in the Word of God. And the Bible gives you an art gallery of Jesus Christ and who He is and what He's done. Hallelujah. 
I have beheld the Son as He spoke in the midst of nothing and created everything by the word of His power. For for John chapter number 1 says, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ made all things. I behold Him as the Creator of the universe and of all things. I behold Him as the one who made the earth. And he reached down in the dirt and he picked up and made a man and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life and brought a woman from the rib of the man and created her, put Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. I behold the God that was willing to walk with a lowly man in the garden. But I behold the God that said, don't eat of the tree. Adam and Eve sinned against God and God could have cut them off and never had a human race. But instead, he come walking through the garden in the cool of the day again. And while they were there shivering and hiding in their sin, God called Adam out, and here he came. Adam confessed his sins, and God pulled out two coats of skin, and he robed Adam, and he robed Eve, and he gave them the promise that this seed of the woman would come one day and he would be bruised, he would die as a sacrifice on the cross and that these animal skins were just simply a picture and a type of what the Son would do. Blessed be God, I behold the Son as he begins to inspire the holy prophets and give scripture. He tells us how he would come. He wouldn't come as an angel. He wouldn't come, my friend, as an animal but he would come through man. He would be the seed of the woman, the first message of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, not the product of the man and the woman, but the virgin birth that he wouldn't have any fallen or sinful nature. Later on, he gives the promise to the prophet and said a virgin would conceive and bring forth. And then he writes down where Christ would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. He tells Daniel when Christ would be born from the time of the rebuilding of the temple to the cutting off of the Messiah would be a certain amount of years and it was exactly that. He told us that the heavens would move around when the Messiah came and the wise men followed the star. For the Bible said the star would rise out of Jacob. And they looked and they longed for that. And they followed that star. And it pointed them to Bethlehem, to the Lord Jesus where he was born. Oh yes, he declared what his name would be. He'd be called Emmanuel, God with us. He declared what family he would come through. What tribe and what nation of people through the Jewish people. As the seed of Abraham, he would come through the line of David and Jesse, and he would be born in the exact lineage at the exact time. He wrote in the Word of God what he would do. Christ performed the miracles. He spake as never a man spake before. Glory be to God, the Lord Jesus Christ proved himself after many infallible proofs that he was the Messiah. Amen. I beheld him as he went to Calvary's cross and he took the whipping and the beating and the nails and he hung between heaven and earth. And he cried, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Cried, it is finished as he ironed out and paid for our salvation on the cross of Calvary. I beheld him as Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea laid him in a borrowed tomb, rolled the stone up. And the soldiers came and guarded him and said, Nobody's coming in. Nobody's going out. This is a sealed, done deal. 
Praise God, I beheld on Sunday morning when Mary Magdalene, those women came down to the tomb to give him a proper burial and the Lord Jesus revealed himself to Mary and Mary said, Rabboni, as the Lord called her name. Glory to God. I beheld him as he walked through the walls and revealed himself unto the disciples again and again as he proclaimed himself and showed himself alive to over 500 brethren at one time and showed himself for those 40 days after many infallible proof that he was the living Lord of glory. Oh yes, I beheld the Son as he wrapped himself in a cloud of glory and he ascended back to heaven to sit down on the throne. I beheld him as he said, you go to Jerusalem and when I get there, I'll send my Holy Ghost here. Thank God on the day of Pentecost, here comes the sweet spirit of God baptizing those believers into one body, filling their heart with power. Simon Peter stands up and begins to preach. This same Jesus, and he magnifies the Son of God. What must we do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God, the gospel began to be preached and down through the years and it came across the sea and it came to Hendersonville, North Carolina through the preaching of the blessed word of God and one night sitting in a meeting just like this as a young 18-year-old lost sinner, I beheld the Son. As he boxed me up in the Holy Ghost, conviction showed me I was lost and undone and I was in need of the Savior and I was going to die and go to hell. And as he convicted my heart and he drew me, those Cherokee Indians got up and sung Amazing Grace in their native tongue. I fell in that altar and I beheld the Son. I said, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Son was merciful to me, a sinner. And you know what? I got saved by the grace of God. And you know what I've been doing ever since? I've been beholding the Son and worshiping the Son and honoring the Son and thanking Him for His goodness and His salvation. And we've been walking together. He's real. This is not some religious experience. This is not some psychological thing. He's real. Hallelujah. Though I may not see Him with these eyes, I see Him through the illumination and the eyes of faith. I can't see oxygen, but I sure have breathed a lot of it while I've been preaching. Hallelujah. He said, Behold the Son, he that seeth the Son. Number two, and believeth on him. You've got to believe the Son. You might know most of what I preach tonight. Hey, come here a minute. You may know it in your head, but has ever come to your heart? Have you believed on him? Have you grasped that truth? Have you begged God to save you by His grace. The Lord said, you've got to bless. And then He said, here's the blessing of the Son. I'll give you everlasting life. Amen. Amen. You know, the Bible says, He's not willing that any should perish. But here's what He is willing, that all should come to repentance. Because God is long-suffering to usward. To usward. Not willing that any should perish. All those that believe on Him. All those that come to repentance, you won't perish. All that the Father give me will come to me. And him that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. And he's willing if you repent and you believe on the Lord Jesus for you to be saved. Otherwise, you're going to wind up burning in the devil's hell forever and forever and forever. 
spit on him, reject him, despise him, and see what happens. You'll face God unprepared, unregenerated, and the Lord will tell you, depart, you're cursed into everlasting fire. I never knew you because it's not my will to save anybody that bypasses my son. He is the gate of glory. He is the pathway of salvation. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no man, no woman, no boy, no girl comes to God but by and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you something. Are you in the will of God tonight? Do you know you're saved, saved, saved by the blood of the Lamb? Does He dwell in your heart? Does the Spirit of God uh, bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Are there birthmarks of being born again? Is there the fruit and the evidence that you have really been saved by the grace of God? If not, you're out of the will of God and you need to be saved. Amen. Number two, look up in verse number 39 of John 6. The salvation of sinners is God's will. Then the security of the saints is God's will. Verse 39, and this is the Father's will. You don't have to guess about it. You can mark that one, put a star by it. Which has sent me that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. The security of the saints is God's will. Jesus is God's gift for us. But you, as a sinner saved, are the Father's gift to uh, the 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 Father's gift to the Son. Hallelujah. Amen. And he said, I'm not going to lose any of them. I cost God too much for him to haphazardly hold on to me. And Jesus said, you're in my hand. I'm in the Father's hand. And then he said, you're sealed with the Holy Ghost. I'm wrapped up in the promises of God until when? The day of redemption. Somebody said, oh, preacher, I'd get saved, but I don't know if I can live it or not. When I go out of here, you don't know who I have to hang around. You don't know who my family is. You don't know. No, I don't. But I know this, you get in. And not only do you get in, he gets in you. And he's promised you will never, ever perish. You say, but preacher, I don't know if I can live for him. You can get saved and the liver will come on the inside. Amen. Well, you take a good automobile out there, jump in it and put your feet through the floorboard and start pushing it and see how far along you get. Amen. But if you turn that switch on and that engine cranks up, you stomp it right good, you might peel a little rubber if it's got some horsepower and it'll get you on down the way. Well, some of you are trying to go with God and you don't have the engine on the inside. And the engine on the inside is eternal life. But when I really got saved, I started having different desires, different want-tos, different longings. Praise God, I had a different goal, and I had strength to be able to accomplish and do what God wanted me to do. Well, I've tried all that, preacher. Yeah, you tried it all right. Why don't you ask the Lord to save you, and Jesus comes inside. He'll change you. And he'll put in you a divine nature, the Bible says. He'll give you on the inside that power to be able to live for it because he'll be living on the inside. Hallelujah. Don't mean you won't have battles, just like it don't mean you won't have bumps in the road driving down the road in your automobile. You'll have bumps and twists and turns and all the rest of it, but at least, thank God, you can floor it and get on down the road. Amen. And so we see the security of the saints is God's will. Then turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 
First Thessalonians chapter number 4. Now, it won't scare me if you say amen once in a while. Say amen right there. Amen, amen right there, preacher. <laughs> All right, look there in 1 Thessalonians 4, starting down in verse 3. For this is the will of the Lord. Highlight it, mark it, underscore it. God said, I'm going to spell it out for you. Here's my will. Even your sanctification. Sanctification means to be set apart. It means for a particular task and a particular purpose. It means to be uh, clean before the Lord. He said that ye should abstain from fornication. Fornication, sexual impurity. It's not God's will for you to have sex outside the bonds of marriage. It's not God's will for you to shack up, live with one another, commit adultery, and fornication. That's not God's will. God said, that's not my will. I made Adam and Eve, and I joined them together. And God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Amen. And he didn't make Adam and Millie and Jane and and Jill and put them all together. He made Adam, and he made Eve. And you know what would cure all this AIDS and these 40-some different social diseases that are going around causing all kind of problems in our society? Let every man have his own wife and leave everybody else's alone. Say amen right there. I know this is condemned by Hollywood. Boy, they got a real stir going on in Hollywood now. Simply been brought to the surface, one of their own, what he really does behind the scene, what we all know that Hollywood crowd does behind the scene. All of a sudden, they're just like the devil. They're jumping on the other side saying, foul, 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 look how bad he was. And then my very one shacking up and laying up and committing adultery and fornication with him and all of his bunch. And he just happened to be the one that got caught. They're pointing at him. Amen. Boy, we live in a generation that Swap off partners like dogs. No commitment. Amen. They ought to be commit. It's just a piece of paper. No, it's a holy bond of matrimony between you and the Lord. And God said, it's not my will for you to be unsanctified. And that is unsanctified. Say amen right there. And so he talks about private situations. Then secondly, public situations. Look in verse 6. No man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. That means to cheat. means to overreach. It means to oppress. God said, be upright. Look people in the eye. Treat them right. Don't cheat them. Don't get unusual advantage over them just because you can. But he said, it's my will that as my children that you not defraud somebody. You not cheat them. You pay your bills and you do what's right and uh, you try to be a blessing to other folk as well as the blessing coming back to you. And then in verse 11 through 12, we see personal situation. He said that you study to be quiet. This is coming right on home now. The tongue is a small member, but it's deadly. It's got the poison of a snake in it. Amen. James said it's got the fire of hell in it. Boy, it can stir some stuff up, can't it? Oh, my goodness. No, I wouldn't smoke or chew or run with them that do. No, but you'll yap that tongue. Amen. 
They ought to call it Face Blab instead of Facebook. And I know you can put some good stuff there and so forth, just like a radio or TV or your brain or anything else. You can do right or wrong with it. But man, there's a lot of gossip. You know, God bathed that tongue in saliva. He tied it down on one end. He hid it behind bars of ivory, clamped it down with the strongest muscles in your body, and then put lips of clay over the top of that. So, um, study to be quiet. And the reason you got to study it is because it don't come natural. Well, I just got to give them a piece of my mind. Old preacher said, you ain't got enough to spare. Just hang on to that. Amen. One lady come to an altar one night and said, oh, preacher, I want to lay my tongue on the altar. He said, we just got 32 feet. You can try. Amen. Study to be quiet. Learn to keep your mouth shut. Man, I tell you what. You know, they go jump in the car on Sunday morning, squall off, take off down the road, all huffed up. <laughs> what do you think about that message, honey? Hmm. What do you think? Well, hmm. somebody's been talking. Yeah, that's what I thought. Did you hear what he said? Yeah, I heard what he said. What did he say? Well, he said this and that and the other. And I'll tell you what, I just don't like that. And I'm tired of that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on somebody. I'm going to find out who said that and who told that. Because I told Miss Wigglejaws, and she promised me she wouldn't tell nobody. But I know Miss Wigglejaws, she's buddies with Miss Big Ears. And Miss Big Ears is buddies with Miss Longtongue. Amen. And I know they've got the talking, and it's swirled back around. They've told that preacher's wife, and she's told that preacher, and he told everybody this morning. I'll tell you, it's time I think. And little Junior and Sally's back there in the back seat, and their little eyeballs are sticking up like a crab down on the seashore, and they're watching and looking and listening. And that's why you can't dynamite them in the house of God when they get their driver's license. You done cut the head of the man of God off and ruined his testimony in front of your own young, and so they don't have no use for the preacher study to be quiet let God handle it you don't have to handle everything man what a lesson study to be quiet and then he said learn to do your own business old fella asked his buddy said how you doing I'm doing pretty good said my wife's spending all my money my neighbors are minding my business so I'm doing all right Old song said, mind your own business and I'll be minding mine. Like Pinocchio's got the nose stuck in everybody else's business. What are they doing now? What are they doing driving that new car? I'll guarantee you they've quit tithing. I'll guarantee you they ain't no way. Who do they think they are anyhow? I wouldn't wear that dress to a dog fight. You'd just have blowed up mad because they caught it on sale. You'd been waiting on it to go double sale. They done slipped in there and got it right out from under you. So you're all frustrated about it. Mind your own business. And then he said, work with your own hands. You know what would stop a lot of trouble in our society? Work. Good, hard work. When I grew up, my neighbor's farm 
And the day school was out, me and my sister went to work for them. I picked beans, I pulled wire, I strung beans, I worked in cucumbers, tomatoes, and all the rest of it. We was the manual labor. All us school kids. But I had buddies whose mom and daddy just left them at home to do whatever they wanted to do. Most of them guys have wound up either in jail or they'd be in jail now if they got caught up with, and a lot of them are already dead. Nothing to do. You're not abusing your child, and you're not hurting your child. I was grateful for what our president did the other day, and that 13-year-old boy wrote him and said, I'd like to mow the lawn of the White House. He said, bring it on, praise God. And he got out there with a push mower mowing it, and he said, I've got a little lawn mowing business, and I want to do this for our nation. And the president patted him on the back, and then them big mouths said, child labor, child labor. He's abusing that child, child labor. Hogwash. The only calluses most of them got on is their thumbs. And they got a couple on their bottoms. Say amen right there. Your boy gets to walking like a little prancy girl. Get you a good unbroke jackass. Hook a plow to it. Put him out there in about a 10-acre field, got plenty of roots in it, and that'll jerk the wiggle right out of his walk. And for Christmas, buy him a double-barrel shotgun and get him some good double-alt buckshot and let him practice. Amen. Little girl gets to walking like a plowboy, put a book on top of her head and teach her how to walk. Talking about the will of God. God said, listen, there's something you need to learn to work with your own hands. And God hath created us for a purpose and a reason. He made them male and he made them female. And we're just crossing all those lines up, mixing it all up. We're so hodgepodge. And young people are, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a boy. I don't know if I'm a girl. I don't know if I'm an it or I'm a shim. I may be an alien. I might be a conehead. Maybe I'm a dog. And they're just as confused as a termite in a yo-yo in a yo-yo contest. They don't know because they don't have any understanding of what is the will of God. God's got a will for our lives. He's got a purpose, a direction. Amen. It's practical. Then I want you to turn, if you will, please, over to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It's right there by you. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God's will for us to be thankful. Ingratitude is one of the greatest sins of our day. I remember watching a little Jiminy Cricket cartoon. And boy, he's playing. Oh, Mr. Ant's coming by dragging bread and grain to the, to the storage place where Mr. Ant takes it, you know. Oh, Jimmy the Cricket, he's saying, The world owes me a living. The world owes me a living. The world owes me a living. Do, 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 do. 
And the old wank comes by and says, you better work. You better prepare. You better get ready. No, the world owes me your living. Well, the snow comes. Mr. Jiminy Cricket winds up out there in that cold snow, and he comes dragging his big old long self in front of them ants, begging them for a little mercy and begging them for a little grace. And they let him come in and give him some hot soup and warm him up by the fire. And they say, Mr. Uh, Jimmy Cricket, you got to play for your supper. He said, no, 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 no. Oh, the world of living. Oh, the world. And he changed his tune. Amen. He got thankful. And he got grateful. Oh, let's not be unthankful. Let's be grateful. Somebody does something for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. God bless you. You didn't have to do that. Nobody owes us anything. Let's be thankful in all things. Give thanks for this is the will of God. Well, Rudy Smith about cut his hand off one time working out at G as a young Christian. And he said, it hurt. Oh, my, it hurt. And said, they called the ambulance, blood squirting everywhere. He said, I, I felt like cussing, but instead I said, praise God for a thumb to mash. He found something to praise God for, even in that situation. Amen. And it's God's will to give him thanks in all things. Then I want you to look in 1 Peter 4, verse 17. We'll close with this. 1 Peter 4 and verse number 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them be that obey the, not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls in well-doing unto Him as unto a faithful Creator. He says, you suffer according to the will of God you commit yourself to Him. This Nabbit and Blabbit crowd is going to have some apologies to make when they stand before God. Well, if you just had faith, you know, you'd be healed. Did Apostle Paul have faith? He had a thorn in his flesh and three times. God, would you know? God, no. God, please, no. But what was his answer? I'll give you grace sufficient. And Paul said, ah, that grace and glory will rest on me. I'll gladly suffer this thing. And he said, I know you've given me this thorn in the flesh to keep me humble because of all the things I've beheld and all the things that I've seen. You know, we may not understand our suffering, but if you suffer, do so as a Christian according to the will of God and commit it unto him. God might get glory out of it. I went, to school, I went to church with an old fella named Charles Jones. I called him Job Jones. He went years without any kidneys, put himself on and off dialysis. Boy, he couldn't hardly walk, but yet you'd see him a hobbling in, and then later on getting out of that wheelchair and rolling himself in right down the aisle and sit down right over there, and he'd turn that little old tape player on. He'd record all the messages. Never complain. I'd go out there to cheer him up. I'd get down to pray and look and up above the bed at his little old trailer in that stucco ceiling. He'd have a verse of scripture. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
If I'd go out there to try to be a blessing, he'd wind up being the blessing. And the Lord called him out of here. He suffered as a Christian. And all this Job cursed not God or charged God foolishly. And God got glory out of Job's suffering. Now, I'm grateful for the goodness of God. And God's able to touch and help us. And he's blessed most of us. But if you do have to suffer, suffer according to the will of God and commit it unto him. And just remember, 